The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the Scriptures and let them speak. Why don't you take your Bibles and uh, open with me to the book of Ephesians. Uh, Today is our congregational meeting, and one of the areas that we want to give more particular attention to uh, this year is the shepherding and care of our members. But I want to make sure that uh, you have a biblical perspective on what that looks like, uh, because there's all sorts of ideas about what ministry ought to be, how ministries ought to function, uh, but we want to make sure we're taking all of our orders straight from headquarters. And Scripture uh, gives us all the direction that we need to have a faithful and a fruitful ministry. And uh, the book of Ephesians in particular is a key book for us to understand what the church is to be and what the church is to do, how the church is to function. As one author notes, Ephesians contains perhaps the most developed discussion of and vision for the church. Ephesians is is really a church-saturated book. Uh, Even marriage in chapter 5 is said to represent Christ in the what? In the church. It's it's the church all over the, the book of Ephesians. And the church receives attention from the beginning of the book all the way to the end. Uh, Just to give you an overview, starting off in chapter 1, we have explained for us the vast riches that belong to us who are in the church. Uh, Because of our salvation, uh, each aspect of our uh, salvation is is this this wonderful riches, these wonderful riches that we have to, to pull out. Salvation, just like all these different treasures that we pull out one by one uh, because of this great salvation that we have, and they're all examined in light of the glory of Christ. In uh, chapter 1, it lets us know that we've been blessed, chosen, predestined, redeemed, enlightened. We've been made recipients of an inheritance, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the guarantee of our future salvation. But all of these blessings are found in union with Jesus Christ And if you're united to Jesus Christ, guess who else you're united to? You're united to the church. He is, verse 22 says, head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Our blessings are found in connection to Christ, who is the head of the body, the church, and we don't partake in the blessings of Christ in isolation from his body. Uh, We share these blessings with the redeemed. So chapter 1 talks about uh, the blessings that we've entered into. In chapter 2, we're confronted with the misery that we've been saved out of. In uh, verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2, we learned that we were once dead in our transgressions and sins, uh, that we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but now we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. In uh, verses 11 through 22 of chapter 2, Let's us know that once we were far off, that we were alienated, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. But now we who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we're no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens and members of God's household, which is the church. We've entered into this new life and we've entered into a new house and that new house is the church. In verse 21 of chapter 2, it lets us know that the church is a holy temple in the Lord. 
in whom you are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. It's again the, the church. Then over in chapter 3, Paul talks about the mysteries that have been made known to us. And that mystery is that in the church, both Jews and Gentiles would be fellow heirs, fellow members, fellow partakers of the gospel and all the benefits of the gospel. And, and God has joined us together into this one body. In verse 10, it says, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So God uses the church to show off his grace. He shows himself off in heaven through the church. And God demonstrates that he's able to make one new man out of two distinct groups of people. He takes people who don't have the, the same heritage, don't have the same culture, don't have the same interests, who originally had no relationship with one another, and he binds them together, and that all takes place, again, within the church. And all of that leads us to chapter 4, which turns the corner and says, now that you've unpacked all of these gifts, and you understand uh, your place within the church, how should you then live? And for that, look at chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. After all that you've received, I'm imploring you to walk worthy of it. You need to live like you appreciate the blessings that you now find in the church. And first of all, that means that you walk in unity with those who are within the church. Take a look at uh, verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you really appreciate this gift that you've been given, that you've been placed into this body, why would you seek to disunify the body? We would seek to, to, to help the body to continue to be bound together, to preserve that unity. You know, the world around us should be able to look at the church as the answer for the problems that they have. You know, the, the world that we live in is so divided, uh, and the, the, the world should be able to look to the church and say that it's in the church that we find the true answers for unity. You know, everything out on the outside is a flimsy and, and temporary solution for unity that, that starts to unravel the moment you pull at the threads, it starts to unravel. It's not a true unity, but true unity takes place in Jesus Christ when Jesus Christ takes center stage. When we build our unity around Jesus Christ, instead of trying to build our unity around particular likes and dislikes and heritage and culture and traditions, Christian unity is not built around preferences, but around the Savior. And unity is to be found in him. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 4 again. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, which is the, the body of truth that we believe in, one baptism, and we're not talking about the, the way that you were baptized, not water baptism, but all believers have been baptized into the body of Christ. We've all been placed into the body of Christ. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our unity is through our service to one another. We use our, our gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ, which is what Paul makes clear in the following verses. Take a look at verse 7. Verse 7, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each member of this body is intended to be a blessing to the other members of this body. Every joint has its place. Every part has its place. In chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body being fitted 
and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That the gifts that you have and that you may be you know, receiving this Christmas or maybe on a birthday or some other special occasion, you know, those gifts that, that you have, you know, if, if you kept them, kept them to yourself, you know, nobody's upset with that. You know, that's, that's for you. You can use them how you want. But the gifts that you've been given by Christ, the gift that, that you have, the spiritual gifts that, that's been distributed by the Spirit, those gifts aren't for you. Those gifts are for the benefit of the rest of the, 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 the body here. The gifts that you receive from Christ are for all of us. And if you don't bring your spiritual gift to share with the rest of the body, the body is lacking something. There, there's something that you're to supply that you're not supplying for the benefit of the body. And a church that's faithful to its calling of building up of itself in love is going to, to seek to involve every member in ministry, which is uh, what we're seeking to make a priority uh, in the church this coming year. So what does that mean for us in the church? What are we called to do as, as shepherds? It, it means that, that part of a biblical ministry, a biblical shepherding, what that looks like is equipping and encouraging the members to get involved in ministry. Uh, because every joint and every individual part has a role, and that's what this text talks about. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also, he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, uh, this Sunday as we always do, uh, seeking your help. Lord, recognizing that we can't understand these things unless you open our eyes. Now, Father, that you would give us uh, spiritual insight. Now, Father, that you'd uh, uh, even give us the, uh, the will to obey what we read here. Now, Father, I pray that you'd uh, grant us that understanding. And, uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, help me as a weak instrument, Lord, that I would be a blessing to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot that's in this text, and... Uh, Obviously, we could spend a long time here, but I want to make sure that you get the, the big picture. Uh, there's two main points from this text that you need to keep in mind, and uh, this will help you kind of uh, uh, keep the, the main points so that you don't get lost in all the, the details. Two main points. Number one, do you recognize the value of your gift? Do you recognize the value of your spiritual gift? And uh, the second point is, do you recognize the value 
of the gifts around you? Do you recognize the value of your gift, verses 7 to 10? And do you recognize the value of the gifts around you in verses 11 to 16? Number one, do you recognize the value of of your gift? Look at verse 7 again. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us. Everybody has one. The the, the word grace there is uh, simply a word that means gift. Uh, kindness, it's used to, to speak about a spiritual enablement, spiritual ability based on the context of this passage. It's a, it's a gift from God that enables you to minister to others. Down in verse 11, it specifically mentions that Christ gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So what we're talking about is a, a gift given by God uh, to, to perform a certain spiritual function, uh, which is similar to how uh, what we find in the, uh, the Old Testament, how the Spirit of God uh, would come upon certain people uh, to enable them to perform certain tasks. Uh, the Spirit of, of God would enable a prophet to speak for God or enable the, the judges to, uh, to, to work mighty works for God, to enable a king uh, to, uh, to, to rule over a nation for God. The, the Spirit of God would fall upon people. The Spirit of God would be given to people so that they could perform a certain task. Uh, you, you find in, uh, uh, in the Psalms where David says, you know, don't, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. What is he talking about? You know, don't, don't remove the ability to, to serve and to, to rule. I, I saw what happened with Saul. Don't let that happen to me. I, I want to continue to operate the function and the strength that you supply. And in a similar way, each of us has been given a spiritual empowerment to accomplish exactly what Christ desires us to do. Uh, Back in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God has specifically equipped us for exactly what he has designed us to accomplish. He doesn't send us to build uh, bricks without straw. He gives us all that we need in order to, to build. He gives us all the necessary resources And those resources are found in the gifting. And uh, to a certain extent, that gifting is specific to each individual. It's it's interesting that when you compare uh, the the different texts that give us a list of uh, spiritual gifts, uh, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, that when you compare those texts, uh, that none of those lists are identical to the other. And and you wonder why. Why aren't aren't these lists all all the same list? It really lets us know that, that the, the authors are broadly defining the gifts rather than making an attempt to identify each specific gift. They're giving us categories of gifts rather than gifts in specificity. Even the Apostle Paul, uh, who had the gift of apostleship, he recognizes that his gift of apostleship was not like others' gifts of apostleship. He had a specific kind of apostleship. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 13, he says, I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I have a specific kind of apostleship. I magnify my ministry. I have a ministry that other apostles don't have. This is for me. This was specifically designed for me. It's not like there's a a cookie cutter for, for ministry for the apostles. God uniquely gifted Paul for what he was intended to do. And even the text here itself seems to indicate that there's some kind of specificity in our gifting. It doesn't just say that each of us has a gift, but it stresses that grace was measured to each one of us individually. That, that, that this, this gift, this grace was measured out individually 
that, that the people, individuals were in mind. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, God has allotted to each a measure of faith, which indicates that the portions are different for each individual. And he gives the faith to operate the gift that he gives you. And your portion is different than somebody else's portion. And it makes sense that if there are good works that God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, that God would uniquely fit us to do those works that he has called us to do. Not, not other people. There, there's something that God wants you to do. And the Spirit of God blends the specific giftings together for each individual, like a, a master painter who knows exactly where to dip his paintbrush. You know, what colors am I going to paint this individual with? You know, it's all unique. You know, the right mixture of colors for the right person, which is one of the reasons I've never really liked those spiritual gift tests. You ever taken one of those? Because it's not like you fit in only one category. And sometimes you, you can kind of, you know, slant it so that it's the, the gift that you want to have. You know, it's, it's like answer all the questions that you think would get you to the gift that you want to have. But, but when you look at those, you know, even those uh, surveys, it's like we're, we're a mixture of things, right? You know, we have a mixture of interests. There's a, a mixture of, of gifts and talents that the Lord has given to us. We're uniquely blended. And there's a, a broad uh, category of gifts that are presented in the scripture. And, and we'll take a look at that more specifically uh, when we take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4. But God determines what that mixture looks like underneath those categories. Which means that even though we might find a replacement for something that you do, we can't find a replacement for you to do what you do. I remember uh, when I uh, tore my Achilles tendon back in 2011 and I had it repaired... You know, even though the, the repair did the same job as the, uh, the original, it didn't do it in the same way as the original. There, there's a tightness there. There's like, I, I, it doesn't flex the same way that the old one used to flex. You know, it does the same job, but it doesn't do it in the same way. In a similar fashion, we are made specifically by God to do a certain job that nobody else can do the way that we do it. Somebody else can do the job, but they can't do it the way that you do that job. And it's because God has a hand on us. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 19 says, The body is being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments. And every one of us has a place within the body. Each of us is an original piece. You know, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, artwork or really, you know, any kind of uh, collection, you know that there can be prints and copies but there's a higher value that's placed on the original. You know, this is, this is the one that, you know, uh, um, Van Gogh actually painted. You know, there's a lot of prints and copies, but this, this is the original Van Gogh. There's a higher value on the original. And every one of us is an original piece. We've all been specifically designed by God. We've had the, the hand of the designer on us. And what Paul wants us to understand is that whatever your gift is, you've been given that by the greatest person. It came to us from the greatest person at the greatest expense. Take a look again at uh, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse four, uh, 7 again. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Came from Christ, which makes the gift that much more significant. Like I said, every one of us is an original piece. And uh, we might understand the value of the gift based on the one who, who gave it. You know, a, a jersey might just be a jersey until you figure out that it's the, the jersey that was worn by Babe Ruth and it costs $5.64 million. You know, the, the, the one who gave the gift or the one who, who, who uh, originally had the gift, the one who, uh, through whom you, you received the gift is significant. We've received this gift from Christ, the Lord of all 
creation. We've received it from Christ, the head of the church. But not only did your gift come to you from the greatest person, it also came at the greatest expense. Take a look at uh, verse 8 again. It says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. It's Christ who gave those gifts. And he ascended after he had descended and done what? He died. <laughs> like like he, he, he accomplished the mission that he was sent here for. He descended and he ascended, meaning that the mission was accomplished. And it was after accomplishing the mission that these gifts were given. And don't, don't get lost here because uh, uh, there's a, a lot of detail in uh, verses uh, 8 to 10, just to read it for you again. Uh, Therefore, when it says he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Uh, just to give you a, a little bit of background, why don't you flip over to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, which is uh, where Paul is quoting from. Uh, if you take a look at your, your text in Ephesians chapter 4, in uh, some of your Bibles it'll be in all caps or uh, maybe in a, uh, blocked off as a quotation. And it's showing you that it, it's, it's taken from a, another passage, and this comes from Psalm 68. Psalm 68 uh, speaks of the, the victories of the children of Israel in the past. And uh, each one of these victories wasn't just won by the children of Israel. It was actually won by God himself. God's given the credit for every victory uh, that's been won. Uh, Psalm 68, look at verse 1. It says, let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. God's the one who's fighting. And let those who hate him flee before him. Look at verse 7. It says, oh God, when you went forth. Again, God is the one who went forth. Before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of God, the God of Israel. And then look down in verse 18. Verse 18. It says, you have ascended on high. You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men, even among the rebellious also, that the Lord God may dwell there. And that, that picture there that the psalm paints is one of, of God as a warrior king. The one who goes out and defeats the enemy. The one who returns with the spoils of, of war. And the children of Israel understood that it was God who won their victories for them. And whatever they claimed, uh, they claimed that because uh, of God who defeated their enemies. And what Paul does is he picks up on this picture in a similar way and he says, Jesus is now that warrior king. Just, just as you looked in uh, Psalm 68 and it says that God was the one who fought these battles, that God was the one who gained the victory, it's Jesus who now fulfills that, which is also another way to say that Jesus is God, right? Back to, to Psalm 68. He says that Jesus is the one who wins the victory. And, and Paul picks up on this, this picture and he says that when Jesus ascended back into heaven, that was like his victory parade saying that he accomplished what he was sent to do, that he, he defeated the enemy, that he won the victory. And all of us maybe have at one time been like prisoners of war, held captive by the enemy. But if you look back in verse 6 of Psalm 68, it says, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. He's leading the prisoners out. Those who were captive, he leads out into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So we're prisoners who have been set free. 
And once we've been set free, what are we given? We're given gifts. We're given the spoils of war. We, we share in the victory of our warrior king. We who have been held captive in sin by Satan, we've been set free because of Jesus Christ's victory. And Jesus is passing out the spoils of war that prove that the enemy's been defeated and that Jesus Christ is reigning supreme. And the ascension was like the victory parade. And Paul wants to make sure that we don't forget that the victory came at a cost. And that's what verses 9 and 10 are about if you look back in Ephesians chapter 4. Because before he ascended, he first had to descend. He descended. He who descended as himself also, he ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So Jesus Christ is the one who first had to descend into the lower parts of the earth. And that's just a reference to the earth itself. Uh, heaven's pictured as like the, the mountain that's ascended and earth is you know, the lower parts. And uh, if you have any questions about that, you can just ask, where did Christ ascend from? He ascended from the earth into heaven. And the, the lower parts of the earth is not here a reference to hell. It's speaking about the earth itself. And it's on the earth that Jesus Christ won that victory. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 says he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Where was that? It was on the cross. And because of that victory on the cross, we now have spiritual gifts. Does that place a greater significance on the gifts that you have? That you understand that the Christ purchased those gifts by his death on the cross? That Christ first had to descend in order to pay for your sins, in order to ascend and to distribute gifts to men, it places a greater stewardship on the gifts that you have. Understanding what a great cost has been paid for those gifts. You can't handle those gifts any way that you choose. You can't bury those gifts in the ground as if they don't matter. You make use of those gifts because of the great cost that was paid for you to have those gifts. Too much has been paid for the gifts that you possess. You understand that? Too much has been paid for that, that you would bury your gifts in the ground. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, but woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. This is a responsibility that I have. I've been entrusted with this. I can't do what I want with it. And whatever gift you have, you need to understand that that gift has been personally measured out to you by the Christ who died for those gifts. Christ died for those gifts. So, so what do you mean when you say, you know, all, all I do is serve. Well, what are you talking about? Christ died for you to do that. What do you mean all you do is serve? You know, all I do is administrate this ministry. What, what, what do you mean all that you do is that? That's what Christ died to, in order for you to do that. When, when you show encouragement, when you, when you display mercy, when you exhort people, that's a stewardship that's been entrusted to you. You have a responsibility with that. Do you understand the, the kind of price that was paid so you could do what you do? And don't worry about what somebody else does. Worry about what you've been given to do. Don't worry if your gift doesn't look like somebody else's gift. That wasn't what's been measured out to you. What, what's, what's in your hands? What's been measured out to you specifically designed for you? Again, you're an original piece, original piece of artwork. No one can do what you do the way that you're intended to do it. You need to recognize the value of the gifts that have been given to you. Number two, do you recognize the value of the gifts around you? Because we all haven't been gifted in the same way. Take a look again at Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. 
It says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. And uh, we'll stop right there because we have a little bit to, to deal with there. Uh, but one thing that we recognize here is that there's diversity within the, the giftings. You know, some are apostles, some are pastors, some are evangelists. You know, so you have the, the division of the gifts. There's some, some, and some. You know, before when he's talking about uh, what we all have, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, it was one, one, one. And now it's some, some, some. This is the division of the gifts. He gave some to do certain things. And the uh, the gifts that are given here, we were told about these five gifts that are foundational gifts. And uh, right here we have the, the people, uh, the gifts of these people, the specific people in verse 11. You know, those who are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We have these five gifts that are mentioned. And like I said, I just want to spend a little bit of time here before we move on. Sometimes people ask me, you know, do you have a five-fold ministry at your church? And uh, what they, they mean by that is, uh, do you have, you know, all of these operating, you know, apostles and prophets, you know, along with the pastors, teachers, and evangelists? Do you have the apostles and prophets at your church? They're usually talking about the first two. You know, they're not really worried about the pastors, evangelists, and teachers. They want to know, do you have the apostle and the prophets at your church? That's what they want to know. And there's a couple of ways that we can answer that question. And the first is within the book of Ephesians itself. Why don't you flip back to chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2. We're told from scripture that the ministry of apostles and prophets would be a temporary ministry. It's a temporary ministry. It's a foundational ministry. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 starting at verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And the, the simple question is, how many times do you have to build a foundation? Once. <laughs> Unless you're doing a shoddy job, right? You only have to build the foundation once, and then everything else is built on top of that foundation. And if the foundation is being built today, guess who else has to be here today in order to lay the cornerstone? Jesus Christ has to personally be here. You know, and there's a lot of people who might say that I have an apostle and a prophet at my church, but, you know, who wants to say that Jesus Christ is present, you know, physically present in my church? He shows up in the flesh at my building. Like, nobody wants to say that, but they want to say, oh, we have this five-fold ministry, apostles and prophets. Well, if you have that, you also need to have Jesus Christ himself, you know, who's the cornerstone, because that was at the beginning that laid the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ was the cornerstone, apostles and prophets were built up on top of that, and we the church are on top of, of that ministry. So nobody wants to, you know, say, oh, oh yeah, we've got Jesus too. The ministry of the apostles and prophets was temporary, was foundational, was, was part of the beginning of the church. In Hebrews chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son. What, what, what is that saying? That that was a ministry for times past. God, God used to speak like that. After he spoke long ago in the fathers and the prophets, many portions in many ways, in these last days he's spoken to us in his son. And, and who was the authorized representative of Jesus Christ? It was the apostles. The apostles were the authorized representatives of Jesus Christ. We don't have any who are living today. That's what uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I'm the last person to qualify because I'm the last person who saw the resurrected Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 8, he says, and last of all, it's not, not really hard to understand, last of all, 
As to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. One of the qualifications for being an apostle is that you had to see the resurrected Christ. And Paul says, I'm the last one. <laughs> last of all, he appeared to me. Like, like there's nobody else on this list. So, so Paul was the last person who became an apostle. You know, the last living apostle was uh, the apostle John, but the last person to become an apostle, capital A, was Paul. So no, we don't have apostles and prophets at our church. But another way that you can answer that question when people say, you know, do you have a, you know, a five-fold ministry? You know, do you have uh, apostles and prophets? Another way that you can answer that is that we have the ministry of the apostles and prophets in our church. Because every time we pick up this, this book right here, <laughs> this is the ministry of the apostles and prophets. This is where we find uh, the word of God being spoken. It's in the scriptures. I love what Justin Peter says. He says, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. Yeah. And if you want to hear him speak out loud, uh, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> if you want to hear him speak audibly, just read it out loud. You know, this is where we hear the voice of God. We still have the ministry of the apostles and prophets, and it's in our Bibles. And we, just as the early church, commit ourselves to the doctrine of the apostles, the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's the same thing that we do today. We're committed to the doctrine of the apostles. And that's no less true of us than it was of the people in the first century. So no, we don't have any living apostles and prophets among us, and neither does your church, regardless of what the minister might want to call him or herself. We don't have uh, apostles, prophets, you know, whatever title you want to throw on there. You know, I'm the, the chief, you know, potentate and primate, as I've heard some people call themselves. It's like you thought you saw primates at the zoo, but we've got primates running around, you know, the potentates and primates. But we do have evangelists, pastors, and teachers, but consider what these men are supposed to do. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, back to Ephesians chapter 4, have a specific function. He gave these men to the church. Why? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. The pastors, teachers, evangelists are given for the church to be equipped. There's this kind of professional idea of ministry that uh, kind of delegates all the ministry to the pastoral staff. You know, that's, that's what we pay you guys for, right? You know, you do the work of the ministry and uh, we'll show up on, on Sunday. Uh, that's, that's not what the scripture says. <laughs> the, the scripture says you're showing up so you can get equipped so that you can go out and do the work of the ministry. That's, that's the way that it works. That's a process. The leaders equip the church to serve, which in turn builds up the body, which also means that if all you do is just listen to the leaders and uh, like that's the extent of your involvement in church, how are you being built up? Because the church, the leadership equips the church to build up the body of Christ. The building up of the body of Christ happens among the members, right? So if all your involvement in churches is just showing up and you leave, how are you being built up? How's the body of Christ being built up if you're not actively involved in the lives of one another? Because the church is being equipped for that purpose. So that you can build one another up in love. He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints. For the work of service. To the building up of the body 
of Christ. You're part of the process. You're part of the process. And do you realize the value that other people have in your life? That, that, that I'm built up by my relationship with other people here within the body of Christ. That's, that's the process. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints to the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. That word for um, uh, being built up, the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, it was often used to, uh, uh, for something that was restored to its original condition. It was a medical term for the setting of bones, you know, setting bones straight and broken bones back together. And if the body is to be built up and set straight, uh, the body has to be actively involved. And that's the way that a faithful and a fruitful ministry is designed to function. Uh, you know, even in a congregation of this size, I find it hard to get around to, to everybody personally. You know, but that's where the rest of the church comes in, right? <laughs> you know, uh, the rest of the church gets involved, just like uh, uh, Moses uh, was told by, by Jethro. You know, you can't, you can't do this by yourself. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. You need to have other people who are involved. And pastors and teachers are to get the rest of the body involved in the work of, of service. That means, like I said, that if all you do is come to receive, you're really missing part of the process. You're supposed to be engaged in this and also supposed to value the gifts that others have for for your life. And how long is this supposed to continue? Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. How long is this supposed to continue? Until we look like Jesus. That's how long it continues. What does a fully built body look like? It looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. That's the final goal. And that's what we see consistently throughout the scriptures. I love, uh, you know, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know, a lot of people quote that one. You know, God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, and then they stop. But, but what's that purpose? What's, what's the good? What, what's the design in all things? Like, what are we trying to achieve? Verse 29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that we, that he would become the firstborn among many brethren. So, so what's the goal in all things? For you to look like Christ, for you to be conformed into the image of Christ, we're to look like Jesus Christ. That is the goal of our Christianity. But how do we get there? And how do we know that we're, we're getting there? We know that we're getting there when we're striving for the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of God. We're striving together, united together. The body is working together. And right here in uh, verse 14, it lets us know part of what that, that looks like. How, how do we know that, that the body is being built up? You know, how do we know that we're, we got some gains going on here in the body? Look at verse 14. As a result, what, what's the result of, of this kind of ministry? As a result... We are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're to, to grow up in Christ-likeness, and what that means is that we're also growing in maturity, that we're, we're growing in the, the knowledge of the Son of God, the, the teaching of Scripture, understanding who Christ is. And it's the Word of God that's bringing that kind of nourishment. Over in First. Uh, Timothy 4, 6, it says, uh, in pointing out these things to the brethren, the teachings, you'll be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine, which you have been following. In Acts chapter 20, in verse uh, 32, it says, now I commend to you, 
now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. So what does uh, Christ's likeness look like? It, it, it looks like uh, when, when the body is built up in knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is, when it, when it thinks the way that Christ thinks, when it functions in the way that Christ functions, and when we're not tossed around by false teaching. That's part of the, the result. That's part of what we can look for in a mature church. What does a mature church look like? A mature church looks like a, a church that can stand on the word of God and doesn't get swayed by everything that passes its way. That's what a mature church looks like. That's what it needs to, to look like. That's the, the results that we're looking for within the church. If you're easily swayed by somebody who brings in a different perspective, some new teaching, some new way to think, something that you've never heard about before, that's not the mark of maturity when you're always seeking for something new. The mark of maturity is when you're standing on what's old, <laughs> when you're standing on the, the word of God, when you're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what maturity looks like. And that's one of the reasons why we focus so much on teaching within the church. You know, sometimes people, you know, say, well, you know, why is there all this emphasis in teaching you know, at Baltimore Bible Church. You know, you, you already teach on Sunday and then you want to do another study on Sunday night and then you want to come back on a Wednesday and then you've got small groups and you want to talk about it, talk about the sermon again. I mean, what's, what's the reason for all that? It's because it's the word that helps us to mature. It's the word that helps us to grow. You know, one of the models for this, this church is, uh, you know, loose the scriptures and let them speak. You know, one, one of our brothers said that uh, the motto, you know, should be lose the scriptures and let them sleep. But that's not what it, it was a joke, okay? You know, <laughs> loose the scriptures and let it speak. Let the scriptures speak. And it's the scriptures that help us to mature, to grow in grace. And if you're easily swayed by everything that comes across your screen on the internet, something new, some new blog, some new post, some new article, some new something... If that's where you are, that doesn't show how mature you are because of how much you can gather out there. It actually shows how, how immature you are because you're receiving everything that's out there. That's a mark of immaturity. You know, and I'm, I'm kind of tired of people who watch a, a couple of videos on YouTube and all of a sudden they think that they're the expert. You know, they've, they've done their research, you know, because I did a, a Google search on the internet and all of a sudden I've, I'm, you know, now I'm going to isolate myself from the body because of something that I found out here. That's, that's not a mark of maturity. That's a mark that you're still in diapers. That's what it's a mark of. I'm serious. <laughs> it, is, it is frustrating. And it's a mark of immaturity. We can measure our progress when we're no longer children tossed here and there. A mature person is able to spot something. That, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't seem right. Some, something's not... Something's not like lining up right there. Something off about that. A genuine truth leads you to maturity, which gets you back to the apostles' doctrine. That's what we're built on. And a genuine truth will also lead you to greater love for one another. Look again at uh, verses 15 and 16. It says, But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. A genuine truth will lead to a greater love. If, if your greater truth does not lead you to greater love, then it's not the truth. You get that? If your greater truth does not lead you to greater love, 
then it's not the truth. We're to be speaking the truth in love and we're to be building up ourselves in love. A good question to ask yourself if you run across anything is how has this, how will this idea help me to love the body of Christ more? How, how will this idea help me to, to be more invested in the church? But if you run across an idea and it's, and it's isolating you from brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not the truth. The truth doesn't lead you away from the church. It leads you towards the church, towards greater unity with the church, towards greater fellowship with the church. First Timothy chapter 1 Paul says, as I urge you upon my departure for for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. And listen to this. Listen to how he makes this connection. Verse 5, but the goal of our instruction is love. How, How is he identifying this false teaching? That's not the goal of their instruction. Their instruction doesn't lead them to greater love. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What does maturity look like? It looks like when you're not swayed to and fro by false doctrine, and it looks like when you have a greater love for the body of Jesus Christ. True doctrine leads to genuine love for the body of Jesus Christ. And it says that we're building up ourselves. Build The body builds up itself. So, we're all bodybuilders. <laughs> Every one of us is a bodybuilder. We're building up the body in love. Fitted together. No, this was a, a word that was uh, used for construction. Uh, the, the, the kind of bricks that we have today with the mortar in between them. Uh, that's not how the buildings were constructed in, the, in, in ancient times. Uh, the, the stones were cut to fit perfectly. They all snapped together like Legos. You know, it wasn't like you just smear a bunch of, you know, concrete in the middle and this, you know, oh, that'll, that's good enough. No, you had to like chisel that thing away and, and make sure it fit. And each one of us is like a, a brick that's been fit perfectly to fit with other bricks in order to make this construction. We all have a place, you know, and that process can sometimes be painful as we, you know, kind of come into friction with one another. But, uh, but it's, we're designed to be together and we're designed to grow up in love And it's through our connection with one another that we also demonstrate our connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to appreciate every member that we have and every gift of every member that we have. Quick story. I know I've shared this before, but it's it's too hard to pass up. When I was uh, serving in uh, in Little Rock, there was a a Bible study that uh, one of our members uh, taught right across the street uh, at a retirement home. And uh, this one particular day, he said, you know, hey, I can't make it to that Bible study. You know, would you be able to teach in my place? And I said, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And I was in my office, and I was studying for something else at the time, forgot to put it on my calendar. And I get a call from this, you know, home across the street. It's like, hey, are you still coming? I was like, oh, my goodness, I forgot. You know, five minutes across the street, ran over there. And uh, as I, you know, approached this room, you know, there's a group of uh, elderly people who are all sitting around, you know, wheelchairs and different things. And uh, I said, hey, how's everybody doing? They said, well, we're, we're doing well now that you're here. You know, thankful that you're here, Pastor. And then uh, this one lady says, uh, my nose is on the floor. I'm like, okay, you know, I know this is a, an elderly home. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you can lose some of that memory. And, you know, it's okay. It's, it's all right, sweetie. You know, we're, we're going to get to the Word of God. But my nose is on the floor. So I look over and I look down and there is a nose on the floor. <laughs> it's a prosthetic nose. 
and I, I look on the floor and then I look up at her and there is no nose on her face. <laughs> so uh, so I, I, I go grab the nose, I hand it back to her and uh, she says, can you put it on for me? <laughs> you know, that's, that's above my pay grade. I don't, I don't know how to put noses back on. Let me go grab somebody for you. Went out into the hallway, found a nurse's aide and said, hey, can you, can you come and help me? You know, somebody lost their, lost their nose. <laughs> This nurse like freaked out. She said, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You actually picked it up. You know, she, she uh, went, she said, I'm going to go get, a, get, a, get some gloves. I got to get some gloves. So she went, got some gloves. She came back, grabbed the nose, like trembling, like can't even look at it. She just grabbed the nose. She says, go wash your hands. Go wash your hands. And she went back up and, you know, she's helping this lady, can hardly look at her, but, you know, puts the nose back on her face. And then she says, now, don't you ever lose your nose again. You keep that nose on your face. <laughs> One of my uh, pastor friends says, if you don't use this illustration, something's wrong with you. <laughs> An individual member does nothing to contribute to the body unless it's connected. <laughs> A nose on the floor does no good for the rest of the body. <laughs> And you might laugh, but some of you might be the nose on the floor. What, what good are you doing to the rest of the body? How are you contributing to the function of the rest of the body if you're not connected? We can't be isolated. We need to be connected to the body of Christ if we're going to do spiritual good. Amen. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much uh, for uh, this time and your word. And uh, Father, we pray that you would use your word to help us to grow. Help us to grow in love. Help us to grow in maturity. And Father, I also pray that uh, you would help this body to, to build up itself in love, to build up itself in truth. And Father, that there would be a, a true and a vital connection between us as those who are part of uh, uh, this congregation. And uh, Father, we do thank you for the love that's expressed here. Uh, we thank you for the truth that's upheld here. And we thank you for our head, Jesus Christ, that we honor here. In Jesus' name, we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the Scriptures and let them speak. <laughs> 